If you have your Bibles, I do invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians, um, and we are uh, still working through chapter 1. We're going to finish chapter 1 um, today, so thank the Lord for small achievements. And um, You know, it's, um, so our, our church's uh, uh, kind of purpose statement is following Jesus, by loving God, loving one another, and serving the world. And as the elders met back in January, um, you know, we're focusing in on those second two pieces, the loving one another and the serving or reaching out to the world. We feel like that's really where we need to, to focus in the coming um, six months to a year and, and probably beyond. But um, this sermon is about that second piece primarily. It's about what it means to, to love one another, although that's not the language that the Apostle Paul uses here. He's talking about um, faithfulness. And he's going to focus on God's faithfulness at the center of this passage. Um, but he uses that, that theological connection, that connection to God's faithfulness, um, because he's going to say, this is what I've patterned my ministry towards you on. <laughs> um, it's based on God's faithfulness uh, to all of us. And, and as you may recall, that his apostolic authority is being undermined, um, which means that the good that he has labored to achieve uh, and the authority of his teaching are, are all being undermined. So that's the, the kind of the background to this, this passage. And he's responding to these charges, um, and he takes these charges seriously. At the heart of his response um, is this, that in fact, uh, he has been faithful. He's been faithful to both God and to the Corinthians. And he wants them to see um, how his faithfulness, so he can't resist. <laughs> he's, a, he's a pastor. He's a theologian. He wants to root this in the Lord. He wants to root this in God's example and in Christ's example. And he's going to use, even as he's responding to these charges, He's using this as a teachable moment, as an opportunity. And, and so perhaps the big takeaway for us is that like Paul, we too should glory in God's faithfulness and in turn cultivate a similar faithfulness in our relationships with one another. Okay? So God's faithfulness becomes the pattern for our faithfulness. What I see here is that Paul, is he's perhaps even has the, the, the new commandment of Christ in the back of his mind where Christ says to his disciples, a new commandment I have given you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Would you stand for the reading and hearing of the word of God? Second Corinthians, um, reading uh, from chapter 1, verses 15 through 24. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, 
whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given to us uh, his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth, not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Would you bow your heads? Lord, you promise that if we seek, we will find, that if we knock, the door will be open to us. So we come with confidence in asking you to direct our thinking and our speaking and our hearing, that we would love you more and that we would love one another as Christ has loved us. And so we pray it for the sake of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So this passage works through four movements. First, he's going to explain um, uh, how his travel plans. He's, he's showing us that this is the issue to which he is responding. And then he's going to show us how he's going to root his pattern of behavior in the behavior of God. And then he's going to show us three things um, in which ways that God has demonstrated his faithfulness to us. And before just ending with the real reason why he changed his travel plans. So this is all about a change in travel plans, uh, which was a serious affront um, to the Corinthians. And so um, we begin in verses 15 through 17, where Paul talks about how his travel plans had changed. In verses 15 and 16, um, the the apostle explains that um, he had planned to travel up so uh, Corinth is in the, the south today, what would be uh, uh, Greece, and he's going to travel up through the north um, of uh, that uh, region into Macedonia. And so he's going to stop on the way up, and then he was going to again stop and visit on the way back. Um, that was his, his plans. And this had apparently caused, um, a, 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 this had offended the Corinthians because, in fact, he stopped the first time, and the church was in turmoil. Um, the church had received these uh, uh, traveling teachers. They had undermined the apostles' work. And also, um, there was a disciplinary issue that was just a, a case of blatant immorality within the church. The church had not dealt with this. And, and so Paul um, uh, uh, comes and, and he encounters these difficulties and challenges. And so he, um, he leaves, and, and a lot of these uh, challenges still remain in the church uh, upon his departure. And instead of returning, what the apostle does is he delays his, his return back, and instead he sends this very um, sort of formal, official, severe letter that we'll come to in chapter 2, where he, he describes that briefly. But the result, the, the long and short of this is, is that this was somehow an offense and also being used against the apostle. 
um, used against him because, you know, he, he must not keep his word. <laughs> you know, he, and what kind of apostle doesn't keep his, his promises? Um, and so his entire authority, and if his authority is being undermined, so too has his ministry um, among them also being undermined. Paul appears, um, so he made this first visit, but this wasn't the only change. And I think this may be what verse 17, so he talks about the, the, the change in plans, and then in verse 17, he asks this rhetorical question. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Now, it may be that Paul's actually referring to a previous change in his travel plans, because if you just go back to the end of 1 Corinthians uh, and there in verse 5 and 6, the, the apostle concluded that first letter uh, with these words. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. In 1 Corinthians, what he's promising is one visit. <laughs> now, that had changed, and then he said, well, I'll visit on the way up and on the way back, and it may be, that's where this rhetorical question is coming. He said, was I vacillating when I chose to visit you twice instead of just once? And, and the answer he assumes will be, well, no, of course not. And then he asks a second rhetorical question. And now this is going to um, his character. Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Paul may have been alluding to the teaching of Jesus at this point, where Christ says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so it may be he's feeling the, the weight of the charges against him. And in this rhetorical question, he's, he's basically saying, do you really think that when I made my travel plans, that I made these plans lightly? Or do you really think that I was deceitful? And even as I was making my travel plans, you know, it was yes and no at the same time. Uh, even as I was communicating, I had no intention of actually keeping my, my commitments to you. Is that what you really think? And of course, Paul had spent roughly a year and a half with this church. They knew him. They, they, they knew something about his character. He expects that the answer would be, okay, no, we, we're, that's not what we're saying. And what Paul is saying is, that's not who I am. And it's at this point that Paul just seems to, to seize upon a teachable opportunity, a teachable moment. He uses the, this situation to talk about what God is like and how God has shown himself to be supremely faithful. And his point here is that, that he and his ministry has sought to be true and faithful just as God is true and faithful to his word just as God is true and faithful to his promises. And so verse 18, which I, I, I see is really kind of the, the key verse in this section. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. As surely as God is faithful, what he's saying, this has been the pattern of my own ministry towards you. God does not say yes and no, and neither do I. What, what, for whatever reason, and Paul hasn't come to the real reason why he actually changed his plans, but it wasn't because 
of a lack of faithfulness. It wasn't because of a lack of character in keeping his word and his promises. And, but here's where Paul goes all theological on the Corinthians. And he begins to root um, his own pattern of ministry in the pattern of God. Paul's able to say, uh, you know, this is, um, uh, in verse 19, he just says this, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, and now he includes his, his uh, co-workers, Silvanus and Timothy, and I, um, in our mystery, it was not yes and no, but in him, it is always yes. That is, in Christ, um, God's faithfulness is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So the very first thing that Paul's saying is, even as he talks about the faithfulness of God, he's not saying, oh, and I'm just you know, bringing this up now to support my case. He says, no, this was right at the heart of my preaching to you. This was at the heart of, of, of uh, Sylvanus's preaching and Timothy's preaching to you previously. This is what God is like. This is not just something, you know, I suddenly am latching on to. The theme of God's faithfulness is a theme that figured prominently in their teaching. And what was that, uh, that message that was proclaimed by Paul? Well, you could say, well, I'm glad you asked. It was that in sending the second person of the Trinity, notice the, the, the use of the title, the Son of God, that points to the relationship of Christ to the Father as the second person, the divine person of the, the triune God. Our Christ, that is, he's the Messiah. He is the anointed one. And this is whom God sent for the purpose of bringing to fulfillment all of God's redemptive promises. Okay, so Paul is leaping from, you know, these plans he communicated to the Corinthians to these glorious redemptive promises that God has made to his people, beginning with the promises to Adam and to Eve, our first parents, uh, continuing with the promises, the glorious covenant promises he made to Abraham and then to Moses and David and through all the prophets. Paul can't help just to reach into this theme of promise keeping. And he's showing that God, with great sacrifice, has fulfilled his word. He has shown himself to be faithful um, to his people and ultimately through the sending of Christ so that in Christ, all of these, um, uh, these promises find their uh, fulfillment. And indeed, as he's talking about how God is faithful, he's also being very uh, uh, Christological um, in the sense that he's showing that Jesus is at the center, is at the heart of God's plans, at the heart of his faithfulness. Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the culmination of redemptive history. And it's so glorious that Paul just immediately then leaps to doxology. He leaps to praise and worship when he says, that is why it is through him, through Christ, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. The amen just being, you know, at the end of a prayer, 
um, uh, it wasn't just for the person praying to say the amen. It was for the people listening to say the amen because it was their way of just essentially agreeing with what was prayed for. It was the way of them saying, so let it be. Um, let it be true. And, and so he's saying, my amen is to what God has done. And it's just simply uh, for his glory and his worship. Paul can't let this teachable moment pass. And so he continues to describe three ways in which God shows his faithfulness to us in verses 21 and 22. The first thing he says there, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. Now, you remember often when Paul uses that plural pronoun, the the we or the us, he's really referring to himself. Well, here he makes it clear in terms of God's faithfulness, he's including the Corinthians in what God has done. And the very first thing he just says is that God, um, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. Here the apostles referring to his and their conversion. God could have left all of us in our sin and darkness. God could have written us off given all the ways that we have not just uh, uh, resisted him, but rejected him, how we've defied him. And, and what Paul is saying, you think about our relationship to the Lord, how difficult we have made it on God to demonstrate his grace, to demonstrate his faithfulness to us. And nevertheless, it was God who established us uh, in Christ. He could have just let us go in our own sin, in our own darkness, which would have led to a life uh, separated from God and then an eternity um, in hell. It would have been very easy for God just to let us go. But God is faithful, and he has at an unimaginable cost to himself through the sacrifice of his own son, established us firm in Christ. This is the first way in which God shows his faithfulness. Second, <clears throat> excuse me. Second, uh, Paul says that God has not only established us, but he has anointed us. That is, um, now he's borrowing from the, this Old Testament figure of setting apart priests and kings and sometimes prophets uh, for the work of God, to fulfill a God-given calling. And as part of this, I mean, we see when Samuel anoints um, first Saul and then David that he has a horn with oil in it that he uses to set them apart. And it became, the oil was a symbol of the spirit the Spirit of God coming upon a person, equipping that person to um, carry out the calling that has been placed on them. And, And so now Paul's saying, not only has he established us, but he has anointed us. And not just, you know, the special people, like in the Old Testament. He's anointed all of his people. And again, the idea being um, not literally with oil in this case, but, but by the gift of his Holy Spirit. He has anointed us so that we would be sanctified, as uh, 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 Deacon David Miller described earlier. This is what the anointing is, to, to set, set us apart so that we can fulfill our callings. 
And part of that calling is just, you know, whatever the vocation that God has laid upon you. But the vocation is always secondary to the calling to serve Christ, the calling to serve the kingdom of God. Our lives, because we're anointed, we've been, set, we've been established, should not look just like the, the lives of those who do not know Christ and, and do not follow Christ. Our lives should be different. And he says, that's exactly what God is doing within us by this anointing. And third, in verse 22, the apostle writes, and who has also, that is God, who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Okay, so the first thing is our our salvation, our conversion. The second thing is our sanctification, our calling by anointing. Well, this third thing is he's, he's placed his spirit upon us. And, and this is, you know, um, uh, backing up on this kind of ancient practice. Well, and it wasn't just an ancient practice, but of sealing an envelope or sealing some possession in clay. You know, if you have a signet ring and you, you put a little clay or, or wax on, a, on an envelope and you seal it. Um, and, and the primary um, uh, purpose for this was to authenticate or to show this is from so-and-so. This is the possession of so-and-so. This is their brand, so to speak. And, and so God has set, he's placed his seal upon us, but it's not one of wax, of course. It's the seal and the gift of his Holy Spirit so that as we see the Spirit at work changing us, transforming us, filling us with the fruit of the Spirit. We, it's it's this, um, uh, this affirmation of what God has done. He has sealed us, and the Spirit also serves as a guarantee. Well, a guarantee of what? Well, that idea of the guarantee is the idea of when you purchase a house, in order to show that you are serious about purchasing that house, you have to put down earnest money. And, and usually it's like, you know, $500 or maybe more now. But, um, and the idea being, well, if you, if you don't end up buying the house, you lose your earnest money. But the earnest money is there to show your intent to pay the full price. And what God is saying is, I've given the Spirit now as an earnest or as a down payment on this glorious payment, this glorious inheritance that is yet to come in the kingdom that will one day arrive in its glory when it's fully consummated in the new heaven and in the new earth. This is how God has been faithful to you, Corinthians. This is how God has been faithful to us living here in in Ohio, Kentucky. God has been amazing in his patience in his generosity, in his uh, long-suffering, in his mercy, in his grace. And and Paul's saying, what I want you to know, Corinthians, is that this has been the, the attitude, this has been my value, this has been my pattern in my relationships with you. I love you. I'm gonna be there for you. I wanna sacrifice for your good. And as we travel through, you know, this transition out of COVID, this becomes our pattern towards one another to be patient, to be long-suffering, to forgive, to be merciful, to, to, to be um, uh, there for one another, to be a support and an encouragement. 
And this leads Paul finally to reveal the real reason that he has traveled his, his, he's changed his travel plans. In verse 23, he says, I, but I call God to witness against me. So he's taking an oath. There are times when taking an oath is proper. It is appropriate. Um, and so here he's saying, may God curse me. May God send me to hell if what I'm about to say is a lie. That's, he, he wants to emphasize this is the reason. But I call God to witness against me. Here's the reason I changed my travel plans. It was to spare you. <laughs> it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Now, what was he wanting to spare them of? Well, he, because of these disciplinary issues, he's wanting to spare them the apostolic visit of condemnation, discipline, and judgment. That's not how he wants, he wanted that second visit to be characterized. He did not want to come with thunder. He wanted to come with grace. He wanted to come with encouragement and love. And so in between these, the, these two comings, he sends them this letter to um, bring about the necessary repentance. And we'll, we'll come to that in the next chapter uh, of what he does here. But he goes on just to tell us then, um, and, and let me just back up for one moment. And even in his, his um, not coming uh, with the, the judgment, this, this also may be patterned on God. Because when Jesus comes that first time, it's not to condemn the world. He makes this very clear in John chapter 3. But he comes in order to, to save he comes to proclaim a message of peace and goodwill. And so, and this surprised the disciples at the time because when Messiah came, they thought it would be both salvation and judgment. But God surprises them by separating the, the salvation from the coming judgment at Christ's second coming. And so you see, even in this, the, 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 the apostle is patterning himself it was to spare them. It wasn't to spare himself. And then he says in this final verse, not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. That is, I, I could have just used my apostolic authority to come and bring judgment, but that's not what I want to do. I want to work with you. My goal, just as it is God's goal towards us in Christ, he says, my goal for you is your what? Joy. Do you see that? My goal for you is your joy. Now, what an interesting orientation this is. So as he's working, as he's, as he's praying for, as he is writing, as he is laboring and giving and, and, and sacrificing, he wants those that he is serving to be filled and to know the joy of God, which would have been entirely the reverse had he made that, that trip at that time. The timing was not right. He wanted it, if at all possible, to result in great joy, for your joy. As members of the new covenant that Jesus has established through the shedding of his own blood, our priority likewise is to seek one another's joy, joy in Jesus and so we labor to encourage, to pray for, to serve, if necessary, to correct and rebuke. But it is always for the goal 
of promoting one another's joy in the Lord. And this is what Paul is modeling to these Corinthians. So let me just sum it up this way. Just as God has been faithful in keeping his promises in the sending of Jesus, so too Paul has remained faithful to the Corinthians. All of God's redemptive promises are yes in Christ for our benefit and God's glory. And like Paul, we too should glory in God's faithfulness and in turn cultivate that faithfulness in our relationships with one another. Well, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, indeed, you make all things to work for the good of those who love you, who have been called according to your purpose. Pour into our hearts such steadfast love for you that we would not be easily turned from following you. Direct our steps so that we'd be faithful as Christ has been perfectly faithful to us. And may we fulfill all your commandments, especially the new commandment, to love one another as Christ has loved us. And we ask this not only for our sake, but for the sake of the great name of Jesus. Amen.